0: Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount Podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on Monday morning for the subscriber Q&A episode that you have been waiting for. Ever since West Virginia improved to 3-1 and with Saturday's 20-13 to home win against Texas Tech. Lots of questions about the Mountaineers now. A little bit of a different tone if you look down the road and see a schedule that's maybe a little bit friendlier than you thought. Start to think a little bit differently about the fate of this team, but the present is what has people so preoccupied. Questions about offense and defense, and where things are going, and how they're going to get there to help me get to the bottom of it all. Welcome in Chris Anderson. Chris, we thought we had it all figured out, but
1: every week we learn a little bit more that we know a little bit less. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the fans are feeling the same way. These these are the most questions hosted yet this season. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to go back and find the Penn State thread. If um, it's not the most, it's right behind Penn State, which, again, season opener, uh, tough loss, you can understand that. But a lot of questions about this team, and uh, I hope we have some answers that we could help out with here. How would you describe the content of the mailbag after the Penn State game, apart from different than you would right now? Uh, it was absolutely negative it was a lot about how the defense still sucked it was just the defense is terrible what what are we doing here this is bad um and on and on and on and, and again small sample size you don't have that one game to go on but i think some of that's changed you look at the questions now obviously you said you know different it's the tone and the questions about the, the, now there's like this skeptical optimism about the defense like hey it, Am I supposed to believe this? Like, There's a lot of that in there this week. I like it. I think we should
0: indulge here. Uh, Let's get right into the questions. As always, from subscribers on the VIP side, the ones that we don't get to, Chris will try to answer in written form. And if you don't hear your question, but you found your topic on the podcast, we might have combined it into one. A lot of overlap on questions. Sometimes we will put three or four or seven of them together just to get the general idea. And there's probably one or two topics today that will fall into that category. Maybe Chris can point that out when we get there. But
1: let's head there right now. Let's begin. Uh, yeah, let's start with that right there because there were a few people that asked, a couple people, eBear25 and Luke Zulander01, um, essentially asking who needs to see the field more. Who are two? Who are a couple guys that that you need to give more playing time against TCU? Mike, is there anybody right off the top of your head that you're thinking of? Part
0: of me says, you know what, there's guys on defense that I really like and I want to see more of. For example, like Tomiwa Durajai, been on that bandwagon at the very beginning. i like for him to play more because he has a good ratio of snaps played to good things happening. However, they've got such a good formula on the defensive line right now and everything's working really well. I'm not sure you you mess with it. And again, if you ask him to do more, maybe take a little bit out of the tank and he's not as good in the snaps that you want him to be good for. So I'm not sure you want to change a whole lot right there. It's It's just... It's percolating, it's simmering, it smells really good in the oven right now. Don't mess with it, right? But you could see guys like that, or maybe, you know, could you get a pass rusher like uh, James Hurd in the game, but you haven't seen him play a whole lot yet. So I want to steer clear from the defensive side of the ball because it does appear to be working, and obviously they need pass rush help. they probably play a guy like Hurd if he was ready. Offensively is where you get into some questions and answers that I think we can really roll up our sleeves on. I just don't understand how Rodney Gallagher isn't seeing the field more often and getting more opportunities just to do something little flip handoffs and, and and like jet sweep action. He's probably better than that, I would think. And if not, you got to find ways to utilize his speed, uh, the shake that he can bring to your offense, because they need that. They just don't have a lot of like runners away from people, runners through traffic, runners around defenders. They're going to need that if they're going to make offense and drives that seem a little difficult, easier. And then Jaheim White, we, we talked about this of the game, Chris. Their running game right now is kind of stuck a little bit. They don't break tackles. They're not running away from people. They're not creating huge gaps. Some of that has to do with the fact that defenses are selling out. But if you can get him around the corner, sweep action, um, use him out of the backfield as a receiver, that'd be a good one there. Those are the two, but those are the two we've been talking about for quite some time, Chris. And they just haven't seen the field yet. Um, maybe you'd like to see Deshaun Polk, maybe you'd like to see E.J. Horton, maybe you'd like to see Jeremiah Aaron just because they're game breaking. I have to believe that if they were able to help more than they've been allowed to so far they would be on the field just because their offense is just kind of pedestrian sometimes right now. It doesn't move very fast. It doesn't go very far in chunks. And those are solution guys that for whatever reason are on the field. There has to be an explanation apart from actually we like to be
1: average and we want to go slow. Yeah. A lot of the same people you said, I'm thinking as well, I, I'm going to steer back to defense because we are about to have a very I'm assuming kind of very long discussion about wide receivers because there were a million questions about what is wrong with that group. Um, but I'm with you on the defense because my first and immediate response to this was, "Yeah, man, you got to get uh, you know Fatormo Mobus some more time. You got to get Day Hawkins more time. You got to get these guys on the defensive line more time." But, but do you? Because like like you said, it's working, and maybe. The reason that uh, Tommy Duragaya and Hawkins and MOBA were making an impact is because they are only being asked to go in there and give it their all for 15 reps a game. And that's it. And if you start asking them to play 25 to 30, they start getting worn down and they start becoming less productive. So I was torn on that and not sure what to do there. And honestly, linebacker, I'm trying to keep Koba and Lathan in there as much as possible. Secondary, they tightened up the rotation and things got better. So I don't want to loosen it back up. Um, one other one I was thinking of that I've seen some good stuff from him lately. but And he's playing a decent amount. He's played 104 snaps. He's averaged about 26 snaps a game. Kyron Bradley with his pass rush has been very good the last couple of games. Now he was way out of position and really struggled in run defense against Pitt. He he was probably the biggest culprit of that first drive when Pitt just kind of ran the same play over and over and over again. And West Virginia kind of got stuck with him in the game and could not sub him out. Um, So I get that it's probably limited on what he's best at, but he's really kind of caught my eye with some of his pass rush in the last couple of games.
0: They don't have any the linebackers to play. That's the one part, too. I looked at that like, boy, I'd like to get those guys a break or get somebody else in the field. But apart from getting Ben Cutter, like, not nah, snaps. I'm not going to play anybody else there right now.
1: Yeah. No, they're not. Um, going to the – and the, part, of, part of the other question, the part of that question that we just answered was also from Luke Zoolander about the four games and red shirts and transfers and all that stuff. Game five is when it's going to be most important to check those numbers because you know, everybody's played four. Now, if somebody plays four and then doesn't play next game, that might be something to keep an eye on because I know a couple of people asked about that. So, You'll be looking for our four-game tracker next week, everybody that's listening. Um, moving on to, are you ready to handle the wide receiver question conundrum now? I can feel it in my grasp. Okay cuz I mean there's a half a dozen questions about this um what can be done to get the wide re- wide receiver production going who's to blame is this the worst, worst wide receiver group in the power 5 like what what angle do you want to take on this and and give me a solution i can't answer the question about the power 5 i just i just don't
0: have enough of a sample size there from watching college football to say wow these guys are worse than west virginia or wow west virginia is the worst i i can't possibly tell you that um i think you have to grade in the curve a little bit with the quarterback play it's erratic i guess that's the word you want to use but they just haven't had a lot of continuity in the position and neither one of those guys are finished products so that's difficult and then you know we overestimate probably the impact that transfers are supposed to make we probably underestimate the transition that they go through. It's it's a different level coming from Angelo state to, to the big 12, you know, the opponents are different. Um, It's probably a different level coming from Kent state to the big 12 practices are different. You know, you're the guys are going against in practice and and the way you practice and all that stuff. It's different. So to talk up guys like poke and Noah Massey, those are the people I've referenced there, but also, you know, an EJ Horton who didn't play a whole lot and they just kind of like him because of some, some, pep that he might give the offense um you know Devin Carter was yeah like a a number one kind of a guy didn't have great stats but he played a lot of power five football and he's been the best of the bunch so far so it's it's hard to 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 gauge what it's supposed to be when you figure they're coming from such different backgrounds and by the way different quarterback situation where the quarterback even the pick one they pick isn't ideal for this particular situation so perspective there probably helps it's going to take some time However, you're a quarter way into the season now, so or I guess a third of the way through the season now. You really have to figure out who you start with and maybe more importantly, who you finish with too. And I think they probably have, Chris, and I don't know if people want to hear this, but like Clement and Fox may not be the people that you've gotten to know and really like through the recruiting process, but coaches like them for some reason that they don't like the other ones for. And I really think that if they wanted to do a favorite system, they would pick the guys that they pull out of the transfer portal. Because those people that's, that, that they wanted and that are supposed to make a difference. So I think they probably already picked it out. How do you get it going now? This is the thing, like reps will make it work. But are you going to do a ton of reps with these guys in practice when you have to work on everything else? Because the running game isn't perfect right now either. No, they're going to keep going at it, what they're doing and just hope it works itself out. Can't do that either. So they're going to have to find something there. But like you're at this intersection. Do you just narrow it down and play a small number of guys that you know you can trust and then buy them some snaps during the game? Or do you spread it all out and say, no one has blown us away. Let's play everybody. And then, you know, kind of like in basketball or, or maybe like a running game, get the hot hand established, whether that's in practice or early in the game, and let them go. I don't know what's the best one right now. I know the first one isn't very exciting because we've been seeing it and it hasn't been good. The second one is kind of exciting because you don't know what you don't know, and it might be fun to figure it out. But what type of stumbling and staggering are you going to do along the way? And and what type
1: of a setback is that for your offense? To answer the question of, is this the worst um, wide receiver group in Power 5, I'm with you. How are you really supposed to know that? I'll defer slightly to... PFF receiving grades. Just to just to put a number on it for people wondering. 133 teams. Um, is that FBS, I assume, uh, according to PFF? West Virginia is 118th with their receiving grades. But even that has an asterisk because that's receiving grades for everybody on the team, not just the receivers. And three of West Virginia's top five receivers – are Cole Taylor, tight end, C.J. Donaldson, and Jalen Anderson, at least as far as the receiving grades go. So it's 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 as bad as you think it might be. Um, and I'm with you. Do you keep going with what you got? Do you go behind the with the mystery box, mystery box, and and try something new? Um, another part of this question that was asked was, who's the blame and how does this happen? And and this is something you and I discussed before. I can't remember what brought it up. But we were talking about, I know, about the offense in general and how there was a new offensive coordinator every year. But wide receiver coaching has been all over the map as well. The first wide receiver coach under Neil Brown was Xavier Dye, who I believe was in his first year coaching period, like on-field coaching. But I think it's safe to say that at the end of the season, West Virginia was okay with him leaving. Um, to take the job at USF in South Florida. Uh, the following two years was this strange mix. And I think people forget about this of Jared Parker and Travis Trickett sometimes. Like there was an unclear division of labor with the receivers. Like originally, Trickett had inside receivers coach as part of his resume. And then it was just gone. And then everybody kind of pretended like he was never actually coaching there. So then I, it raises questions with me, like, who was, coach, who was coaching these positions? Were they splitting the duties? Who was doing what? And then he's gone. In comes Tony Washington. Again, a year where once the season ended, West Virginia was okay with him leaving and going somewhere else. And, you know, now that you brought in Bilal Marshall, and you can't, I mean, you can't put anything at the feet of Bilal Marshall. He hasn't been there long enough to – to make an impact on anything yet. So I think just a lot of uncertainty and uh, at the wide receiver position over the years with the coaching aspect of things. Get that, but you're still getting coached.
0: You know, there's still nine routes on a tree. You still have the principles there. Maybe someone does it better than another, but you know, if you've been playing the position long enough, you know how to practice and you know how to read a playbook and do a game plan. I, I get that, that it's weird continuity doesn't exist but i don't know you're kind of you, not you chris but this this point would imply that they've hired bad coaches and I, I don't know that to be true um but also maybe implies that they brought in bad players and i don't know that to be true either which just kind of brings me into what's going on you know and just fundamentally they've, they've had issues with drops and they don't get open very easily very often and is that coaching based is that performance based or practice based i don't know that's a good a good thing there to to discuss it's not a good problem to have but they spend a lot of time on on how to catch balls and like it doesn't happen sometimes in important spots they run a million routes and catch a million passes and practices during the course of a week or a season and you still have consistency issues that you shouldn't experience the deeper you get into a season or into a career and nevertheless it happens so um it's it, it's probably frustrating because they do have talent there. there's no question about that but You know, it's opportunities is going to be what sets these people apart, but how they get their opportunities is what maybe also sets them apart because they just don't have a lot of them. And if you're E.J. Horton, for example, people have been waiting for that guy to, one, be healthy, and then once you're available, be on the field. And he's played like five or six snaps in two games, but he's gotten two deep balls thrown to him. One didn't really have a chance on but didn't do a great job in the first game. And then we saw what happened last game there too, but it's kind of a weird thing. There's something there, obviously. But there's also something that hasn't happened where there's going to be more of it. And then you just wonder, okay, like, do I just give this guy some more chances and it's going to work eventually? Or do you continue to give him more chances and it doesn't work? And those are decisions they're going to have to make. I think eventually they're going to have to narrow it down, which is one of my options. But I think to get there, you're going to have to cross people off a list or move people up a list. And the only way you really do that is by giving them chances. And if that means that Ray and Gallagher and Horton and maybe whomever else gets out there and gets some looks and some targets and does something with them or doesn't do something with them, you make decisions based off results and and not projections or expectations. Um, But again, is there some setback potential there that worries the staff? I don't don't know about that, but it's got to be better than what it is. But do they have that
1: in them and how do they get there? Don't know yet. You mentioned a second ago. One of the big things that concerns me about the receivers last year and again so far this year, separation. They're just not getting it. And again, some then all of a sudden the quarterback looks bad. I know there's there's always this chicken or the egg thing with the quarter the quarterback's fault, the receiver's fault. But we talked about this and it kind of our light went on. I believe it was right after the pick game. We're like, Wow, man, Riceford Wheaton lead, leads the country or or the Kansas game, maybe it was because it was a couple of games in the, the season. Like He leads the entire country in catches in traffic. That's amazing. And it's like, wait, why is he catching it in traffic so often? Why is he always covered? Why does he have to catch in traffic? Why is he not catching it while open? And that led us down the rabbit hole of looking at everybody else's stats and and a lot of receivers for West Virginia were simply just not getting separation and were being forced to make catches in traffic in – I mean, it should be pretty obvious. Like, if you are covered, it is going to be more difficult to catch a pass. It's going to be more difficult to throw a pass. So um, I'm looking for these receivers to get more separation. And I'm with you. I think maybe you need to start giving some of these guys who have that elite athletic ability to get that separation, that elite speed, some of these guys that are sitting on the bench that just aren't getting the reps just yet. So a question we had last year, because I can
0: remember, like, people asked Harold about it. He's the only one we got to ask, but, like, they couldn't get over last year. And you're like, all right, what do they do? Do they stack receivers? Do they do bunch formations? What do they do? Because they were just getting squeezed in the line of scrimmage and they could not get open. And I forget whom it was, but I asked Harold about it. And he just kind of laughed and was like, yeah, you have to stack people. You have to use formations to get people open because that's not happening right now. And they did that slowly but surely. But um, you, you have seen some different stuff where like they'll, they'll motion Carter like into the slot sometimes. And, you know, they'll start with Preston Fox outside and he's not really an outside receiver. So they, they're doing some things like with their formations and their pre-snap stuff. I don't know if that's to solve a problem or if it's just that it's the design of the play and it just happens to be a coincidence that I'm talking about it now. But there are ways to do it to get their people open. Um, but you can't be more open than Hudson Clement was the other night. And that didn't work either.
1: So it's it's never just one thing. Never. never um... A lot of questions here also. Moving on to another group of questions, this. There are a lot of duplicates, but I'm going to go with C. Hush's question regarding the offensive line. He says, the board is polarized about the offensive line. One side says their play has been disappointing. The other side says their play has been very good. The odds are stacked against them since every team knows we will rely on the run. Which side is closer to the truth, Mike? Uh, better than worse, don't you think? Uh, their,
0: their, their center is about as good as it gets in the country. Um, Nestor's played a couple really good games in a row at right tackle. Milam you never hear about, which is fine. Um, he's He's been very good out there. We, we knew that their guards were going to be the question marks as to what they would do, particularly right guard. That hasn't really – that has followed script. That hasn't become like a – something that absolves you of your concerns. Like not the one is like all conference, all world level, but good power five starter level, that's fine. I think it's okay. But again, you just can't take away the fact that one, they're dealing with quarterbacks who just aren't familiar with the pocket, whether that's because Garrett Green maybe is a little bit better outside of or doing things that let him exist outside the pocket or because Marchio just hasn't been back there a whole bunch. I don't think Marchio got the offensive line in a bunch of trouble last week. Um Maybe held on the ball a little bit here and there, but tried to make something happen when he did. And then the fact that their passing game is just kind of compromised, and their running game is as reputable as it is, you're just going to have extra people in the box, and they're using their tight ends a lot too. But they they ask their offensive line, their linemen, to do a lot of stuff on their own, which is not as easy as getting help by like doing double team blocks or whatever. If you're outnumbering people, it's easier to to. Combo block and do double teams, but since they're even number, maybe even outnumbered, sometimes you can't do a lot of two-on-one blocks. They're making people do a lot of one-on-one stuff. They're trying to use receivers and tight ends to help them out, which doesn't mean the offensive line isn't doing their job. It just means that the defense is making it that much more difficult than normal, and normal just hasn't existed for the offense just because of the circumstances, which isn't a bad thing. That's why defenses practice and why their coaches watch film and all that stuff, they come up with a game plan. So one of them is to attack the offensive line or to outnumber the offensive line. Don't let West Virginia get behind that big offensive line or run the ball that they want to. Um, could it be more dominant? I guess. Yeah. I mean, the fact is we're having this conversation and it hasn't been perfect, but why would you let West Virginia do what it wants to do with the strength on offense? You've seen defenses really combat it, but also they've played some teams with good defensive lines, like Texas Tech's defensive line is really big and effective. I think at times. Pitt's had good defensive line play for years. Penn State, obviously, very fast, talented defense up front. Um, They played good opposition up front. So does that mean that West Virginia isn't as good? That's part of this conversation, I'm sure. But West Virginia has, at times, made those defensive lines look not as great as I'm talking about. So it goes both ways. I would say they're better than they are worse. Salty Dog,
1: eighty one fifty nine. Asked the question. I, I won't go repeat some of the examples he gave, but he says Mountaineer fans have grown to be conditioned to something bad happening at the end of close games. As the game day, came down to the final possession yesterday, Saturday, um, what was your confidence of a good result? Truthful answers only. He says he was feeling the, well, here we go again. Mike, were you confident that West Virginia was going to be able to hold on? No. Towards the end? No, absolutely okay. not. In fact, when uh when Jaden York popped open in the
0: end zone, six five receiver that's hard to overthrow, I figured they were going to overtime, or that maybe they they'd be calling a timeout to drop a two point play because that's the way it goes. I mean, that's absolutely right. Like people and this is every team, but like West Virginia does have a habit of like those uh oh moments when everything looks good, the worst possible thing happened. And if you think about it, remember um Neil Brown's last big win, I guess you could say at home before this recent round was that Tech game a couple years ago. Um, and Daggy threw that just awful interception that probably should have lost them the game. And, but Jared Bartley came through and made a couple sacks to, and kept Tech out of the end zone. But you're just thinking, man, they have, they're this close to this huge win for Neil Brown, and this is what happens, right? Well, the same thing happened Saturday, where they are this close to a big win. And all of a sudden, the secondary that you're starting to write very flowery stories about, just chokes in the biggest moment and lets a 6'5 receiver get wide up in the middle of the end zone, but they drop it. So you figure those things are going to happen. Um, doesn't mean that they will, but the potential is always there. And I thought for sure that this was going to be the closer and closer they got. I was like, I was just thinking they're going to stop throwing outside of Beanie Bishop because he, he's making plays. And they're not going to run the ball here too because you know, everybody's going to be selling off for Brooks. Watch something here. Watch the tight end. I was honestly thinking tight end Chris. When I saw a big guy in the middle of the field, I thought it was a tight end, and I was thinking, nope, that's it. Uh, It happened to be a receiver instead. But, um, yeah, I thought that for sure was coming. This is going to be a decision of, is this going to be a 21-20 game or a 2019 game? It's just going to come down to a two-point conversion.
1: Definitely going for two
0: there, right? On the road with my backup quarterback and a running back who's doing really
1: well, I would probably have gone for two. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think I had had people in my inbox, Twitter inbox, saying is this is neil brown going to get fired before he even walks off the field and i was like holy cow like we're already at that point but that's how people were thinking um to 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 salty dogs point of of the situation in recent history and that's where they were mentally at the time so don't think it's unreasonable to think um others were in the same boat um a few questions That, and I think one of them even referenced my post game comments, but my my hot take of, but basically, is the defense actually good? Do can we get a clear answer on that? This from Willie G, WV blessed, and Pat's fan nineteen ninety three. Is there is it possible that this defense is really good, or or can we say yet? I
0: can't say yet. I just I watch Pitt play, and I just don't know that Pitt's good on offense. And then I think Tech is good on offense, but just didn't play well. And I do think that West Virginia had something to do with both of those, but just haven't seen like an elite offense gear up and go at them since the opener. And that didn't turn out very well. I think Penn state's good. I don't think Pitt's good. I'm not sure about Texas tech. And that may be, you know, the Jerry may be out in that for a while because they lost their quarterback for the year. So who knows? It's hard to look at those three at the moment and project it for I just don't think two of those are very good offenses. And Everybody's like, oh, man, Taj Brooks is great. Taj Brooks had, what, three carries in the first half with a backup quarterback slinging it around the field. I don't understand that one there. So there, there's a way for Texas Tech to be good on offense, but that didn't happen Saturday. So how much that is West Virginia? Don't know. They have the personnel. They have a plan. We've talked about that. They are attacking more than they have in the past that we're accustomed to. Their secondary is more aggressive than it was just four weeks ago. There's potential there. I think it can get there, but they're going to see a real live offense on Saturday night, and then... We'll have this conversation afterwards about, you know, it's, maybe it's an up-foot or a down based on how they do against TCU. It's lining up, though, for them to actually be able to stand toe-to-toe, which is something that you probably wouldn't have thought a couple weeks ago.
1: Next question from WV Blessed asks, do we have the right man in charge of picking the charity bets? Oh. Oh. Stray. It, uncalled for, but it, it begs a question. Mike, do you want to make a return to the charity bets? Does charity want me to make a
0: return? <laughs> Probably not, right? Uh, I haven't. I, the early games are always hard. Chris, don't feel too bad because teams are still figuring themselves out, and you got to get some patterns yeah. and data to use. So onward and upward for you, I think.
1: It was tough. I I I, I complained last week uh, about how everything had to go wrong for me to lose a couple of those bets, and like I mean, a lot of stuff. Like army going six for six on fourth down and. Six inches early on a block on a so on and so forth, this week I just got destroyed. I thought there were some underdogs that might be able to pull off some nice wins, so I did pick I think it was three underdogs on the week, and then none of them came through and I went wake Forest, who was facing the worst run defense in the entire country, and they couldn't run the ball so um it was not a great week, not a great week for me uh in the old sport great week for the sports books, not a great week for me.
0: You haven't lived until you went to bed with New Mexico State up two scores on Hawaii in the midnight game and keeping your parlay together and then waking up to find out that the Aggies blew a fourteen point lead and lost on a walk off field goal.
1: Gotta love gambling. Yeah. Uh CE fifty five eighty eight asks, At what point do we start putting more running backs at receiver positions?
0: On week one, it? probably but why wouldn't they? And they could, I just, I don't get it. I don't know Like, there's a way, unless that maybe they weren't quite as good as they were said to be, or we wrote them up to me, but if it hasn't happened, it's, I guess it's something they can add, but like, again, they know these are solutions to whatever problems or soft spots they have and just not implementing it. So there might be a reason apart from, we just want to be average and we want to go slow.
1: Somebody asked, um, because I think you and I, did we discuss this on post game or was this not on the podcast about the, one of the ugliest wins, maybe I think, for West Virginia. Was it either the big game or this game? And somebody asked, was this back to back worst, ugliest? Not, no, worst wasn't the right word. Where's that question? Ugliest wins for West Virginia in recent memory? Yeah, that's a bar bum- I don't again, you can go back to some vintage eras of the of the
0: of the nineties or whatever and be like, oh boy, that wasn't very fun, but they won. So everything through historical window is, is tricky because they probably have existed in the past, and we just our memories are all different spans. So I get that, but in recent history, for sure. And that's what's so weird. Like this is a three-game homestand that never ever happens, right? You're just not going to get this because the way non-conference play is scheduled now, and you're never going to get three in a row in conference play. And you got to have goodwill for this stuff. And the way that they tie in mini packages, so like mini packages, you could get Pitt and Texas Tech in a third game later in the season. So. Was that enough, those two games, for fans to come back for that third game? Maybe. That's what puts these so much on these next two road games, too, because if they're good, hey, you might come back. You might want to. But I think the fact that only 50,000 people came out meant they weren't probably enthused by that game against Pitt. Also, three weeks in a row, that's tough to do. And maybe not everybody's doing three, but some people are. Maybe it's back-to-back weeks or two and three weeks. It's hard to do for everybody. But also, 50,000 is 50,000, which means that the brand – you know, it's not really a whole bunch of people like clamoring to watch more of that football, which is what they got. So, again, it's probably a good time to have a break and go on the road just to see what they're made of, but also for fans to kind of be able to catch their breath because neither one of those games is like aesthetically pleasing. And when you think about points on the board and, and eyes on your program, you don't see a whole lot of either one right now, too. So um, you'd like to be able to capitalize more on getting three straight home games. But I think people think about that first almost first half against uh, Duquesne and then what they saw for eight quarters against Pitt and Texas Tech. And it it just doesn't get
1: the engine running, I don't think. I actually was trying to go back and look at this because as the game was going on, I thought to myself, wow, West Virginia's about to win this game thirteen to three or thirteen to ten. And I was like, when was the last time they won when only scoring thirteen points? And I believe the answer was 1996 a 13 to zero win over Maryland? Two weeks before that, they beat East Carolina 10 to nine, and sandwiched in between that, they beat Purdue 20 to six. And I think that might have been the ugliest three-game winning streak, which was part of a bigger winning streak—seven straight games. I think they started that season seven and zero, but. Those three games in particular, we went back and looked turnovers. And even with Amos airway, like they were averaging like 2.7 yards per carry in those three games. Uh, uh, Johnson was like the quarterback was like 15 for 32 for 165 and stuff like that. I mean, it was some ugly, ugly football, offensively, at least uh, during that three game stretch. So, like you said, you, our, our memories say this is the worst. But I don't know. I was only twelve in nineteen ninety six, and I don't think I was watching and or enjoying those three games, even mm-hmm. if they were wins.
0: I was uh, I was looking back in two thousand and two. They became a pretty good team late in the season. That's a team that um, kind of like played Miami okay, lost by I think seventeen, um, maybe more than that at home, um, thumped Temple. Then had a couple games at the end that were tough, um. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Boston College, 24-14, win. Tech, at Tech, 21-18, win. Pitt, at Pitt, 24-17, win. There's a team that was going somewhere, and you could tell. But also, 24-21, 24 points in a row for Rich Rodriguez's offense? Not what you'd think, right? But they were trying to find ways to win games in their, their kind of, like, infant stage as a program. And they did. Um, but also, Tech was ranked. Pitt was ranked. Those are road games. And this program is on its way up. Um the the story around the program is often, actually, I would say is, is frequently more important than the story on the field. And maybe that has something to do with what we're seeing right now. Not a great story on the field, but obviously what's going on off the field, the, the question marks, that that amplifies things a little bit too.
1: Um, that might have to be it for this time around. But again, yeah, for those, for those listening, if you did not hear your question, one, was it lumped in with similar questions? Two, it'll be in the written mailbag. Three. There were a couple of questions that Mike and I pulled aside for a quick three minute videos that will be posted on Wednesday and Friday morning. So keep an eye out for those because a couple of interesting ones for us to discuss there.
0: Looking forward to it as always uh Monday afternoon. That means Neil Brown players, coordinators will have all the media day coverage. We'll have an abbreviated podcast stories throughout the week. And then Chris, Josh Eilert talks to the press tomorrow. Do you know who Josh Eilert is?
1: Hmm. Sounds familiar. Is he the full-time coach?
0: Full-time or is he, um, what's the word I'm thinking of?
1: I don't know. I'm sure it's big and plastered somewhere. Was it on the email in bold? (laughs) 20 font?
0: (laughs) We will have uh, full coverage from the interim head coach's initial news conference of the 2023 season on the site tomorrow.
1: Until then, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.